Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people." pray that the Lord will bless the, the word to our hearts. Now we want to cover the basic of this chapter tonight and uh, somebody with B-E-O-9-1-0, your lights are on. <coughs> Nothing to do with the book of Acts. Okay. And uh, so we've just got a very simple outline of what I want to cover in our time together. First of all we want to make a few comments about verse 1, the church murmuring. And then verses 2 to 6, the church uh, diaconate, or the first deacons, there is a difference of opinion on that. And then number 3, the church multiplied in verse 7. And then of course uh, uh, in the subsequent sessions we'll find that out of the deacons that were chosen, Stephen and Philip, uh, Acts chapter 7 is given over to Stephen's address to the council, his defense before the council, and then Acts chapter uh, 8 is given over to Philip and his ministry as an evangel- uh, evangelist. But both of them began in a local church as uh, deacons. We'll come back to that in due time. So let's just make a few comments on verse 1. Now, as you look at verse 1, and we'll sort of do a little bit of a running uh, commentary here, we find, as we've seen in our previous sessions, that Acts chapters 1 through to 4, we have the 120 in the upper room, and then the day of Pentecost coming, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the Pentecostal message, and 3,000 souls added to the church. And then we see 5,000 souls added to the Lord, and as we've seen in chapters 1 through to 4, multitudes, multitudes of men and women were added to the church as the Lord uh, was fulfilling his prophecy, upon this rock I will build my church. Acts chapter 5, as we saw in our last session, we have uh, a distinctive sin in the first case of divine discipline where uh, Sapphira and Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit and there was divine discipline there uh, in, in, uh, in a, a couple of funerals there. Now, as uh, the Lord is continuing to bless in the church, we've said this before, the enemy cannot destroy the church from without but he'll always try and destroy it from within. So in chapter 5, the enemy tries from within, the enemy is the liar and the deceiver, and so he brings about deception and lying amongst two spirit-filled believers. 
So the spirit-filled believers were not perfect. But now when we get to this chapter, we have a more subtle kind of sin, not lying to the Holy Spirit now, but really the sin of murmuring. I'd like you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in connection with this uh, thought on murmuring. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, just before I read the particular passage uh, under consideration in connection with this, remember what is happening here. And because, because we are Western in our thinking and we sort of don't remember the whole, uh, the whole of the Hebrew culture, we don't sort of always bring together a lot of loose ends. But see, what is happening here, uh, the Pentecostal outpouring has taken place and uh, uh, as the people are gathered together, what you'll find in the Old Testament scriptures, particularly in, in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and 16, you'll find that under the instructions concerning the, the festival occasions, the Feast of Passover, which we looked at, at in our earlier sessions, the Feast of Pentecost and Feast of Tabernacles, you'll find that in those times, the people were to bring free will offerings and actually a sort of a third year tithe Beyond their first tithe and the second tithe, they would bring a third year tithe uh, that they would lay aside. And this tithe and these offerings, additional offerings, were given to the widows and to the, uh, the Levites and to the fatherless, the orphans and so forth, uh, as well as set aside for the festival occasions. So when we see that they're laying money at the apostles' feet, it is not necessarily the tithe which the Hebrew culture, and they're saturated with this, knew the tithes that were set, a, set apart for the ministry, but then beyond the tithes, tithes and offerings. And so the offerings here, they were distributed amongst the Levites, the widows, and the orphans, and the poor, and so forth of the land. And they were blessed under the laws, under the Feast of Pentecost. So that's what's going on here. So as you uh, see in verse 1, the number of the disciples is multiplying, be fruitful, multiply, and in the uh, multiplication there of the disciples, our Lord's adding to the church, we have a number of widows who are neglected in the daily distribution, daily ministration, as uh, old King James calls it here, of the food and everything under this festival occasion. And uh, you'll notice it's the Hebrews... And the Grecians, the Grecians against the Hebrews, so Gentile and Jewish believers here and a little problem uh, amongst the widows being neglected. And so we have a murmuring. And uh, this is always the danger. We want to make this as well as not just uh, theological or didactical, but also practical. Danger as a church multiplies, multiplying can lead to murmuring. How many know that? You know, when there's only you and me, we can get on pretty well if there's only me. Okay? Uh, but if there's me and thee and a few others, see, so the Lord's got to work in some grace here, so we have this murmuring. By the way, the word murmur here, it actually means to mutter or to grumble in a low undertone. So there's muttering, grumble, low undertone. Now what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Uh, he goes back to the experience in the Old Testament church, the church in the wilderness, and refers to a number of experiences there, like in uh, verse 1 and 2, paraphrasing a little bit. They were under the cloud and under the sea. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, they did all eat the same spiritual drink. They drank of the same spiritual drink. Uh, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. 
with many of them God was not well pleased they were overthrown in the wilderness and he said these things were our examples or our figures our types to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted neither be idolaters as were some of them they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and uh, fell in one day 23,000 neither let us you'll notice all these neithers or neithers whether you which way you say it, neither, neither, neither. All right, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, where he saw it of serpents. And now verse 10, neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured. And so serious was the murmuring, in this case, they were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and the Greek word lit- literally there is tupas or types. All these things happen unto them for types, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. We haven't got time to turn to this, but I just uh, uh, want to give you some scriptures here. You can just put it down and read it between now and the millennium. When you go back to the, uh, the, uh, the church in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, you'll find that in the book of Numbers, uh, the book of Numbers was really the book of murmuring. Did you know that the word praise is never used once in the book of Numbers? Uh, the key word, or one of the key words in the book of Numbers, is the word murmur. murmur. Uh, and Moses was the pastoring the church of the first murmurs. I'm glad this is not a murmuring church. Everybody said amen. Why don't you put these scriptures down? There were actually seven murmurings in, in the early church, or the, uh, the church in the wilderness, Israel. Number one, they murmured concerning the way. These are all good practical lessons for us and that would be a whole message to develop but I, I, I need to keep uh, moving on here. So they murmured concerning the way. Numbers 11, 1 to 3. The way God was leading them and all these things happened to them for examples to us so that we may not murmur. Number 2, they murmured concerning the food, the manna. We are tired of manna burgers. We've run out of varieties of ways to cook them and bake them. Hamburgers, manna burgers, quail burgers. So concerning the food, Numbers 11, 4 to 17. Then number three, they murmured concerning the giants. There's giants in the land. And of course Joshua and Caleb said, well they be bread for us. Let's have giant hamburgers. Numbers chapter 13 and 14, just put the whole chapters down. Murmur, murmur, murmur. They murmured on Monday, they murmured on Sunday, they murmured the whole way through. How many remember singing that one? Just shows you're too young for some of this. All right, number four, they murmured concerning the leadership. We're all holy. Who do you think you are, Moses and Aaron? We're all members of the body of Christ. We're all on the same level. We're all equal. Who do you think you are setting yourself up? So the moment concerning the leaders, Numbers chapter 16. Just give you the whole chapter there. And then number five, the fifth thing they murmured at, they murmured concerning the divine judgments that came on Korah and company. Numbers 16 verse 41 and then number 17, just the whole chapter again. So they murmured concerning the divine judgments. And then number six, the sixth uh, major murmuring in the book of Numbers, book of murmurings, was concerning the desert, not the desert, 
the desert. Again, the way God was leading them, and, and that's Numbers chapter 20, Numbers 20 verses 1 through to 5, and then the seventh murmuring was concerning the manna again, Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 5. Numbers 21. So concerning the man, there's seven major murmurings in the book of Numbers concerning the way the Lord was leading them, concerning the food, concerning the giants, concerning their leaders, concerning divine judgments, divine discipline, concerning the desert, and concerning the man of again. And you know, it's so practical that we have to watch that we have a, a spirit of praise and not a spirit of murmuring. Everybody said, Amen. You know, we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we should show forth his praises, his virtues, not murmuring. And so, danger is that we can murmur concerning the way, well, the way God's taken this church, the way the leadership's going, or concerning the food. I heard that, been there, done that. I don't think this is going on, do you? I ask you a question. I don't think this is going on here, do you? Anybody hear any murmuring lately? Send him to my office for counselling. <laughs> uh, counselling, I mean, yeah. Uh, concerning the leaders, concerning divine discipline, concerning the desert, concerning the manna, don't be a murmur. Uh, put down Philippians chapter 2, just one final scripture on this part here. Philippians 2 and verse 14. And Paul says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So, it's only a little thing, but how many know that murmuring, the spirit of murmuring, getting into a church can destroy a church? Eh? So, little things, just little things that bug us. So, we may not lie to the Holy Spirit, or something, but just that little sin of murmuring, it can just destroy a church. Alright, so back to Acts chapter 6. So, uh, multiplication of the disciples, murmuring amongst the widows, the Grecians and the Hebrews, because of neglect. And there was ground, uh, but instead of, uh, instead of murmuring, they could have come to the twelve about it. I remember a brother said to me this year, uh, uh, said this to me a number of years ago, and it sort of stuck in my spiritual gizzard. How many have a spiritual gizzard? Uh, it's all six of us, the rest of you can't be too healthy. Uh, but this stuck in my spiritual gizzard. This uh, minister, who is dead and knows better now, he was uh, giving a blast from the pulpit, to tell you the truth, and just blasting away on the sheep and uh, actually preaching on the sin of murmuring and murmuring going on here and God will strike you dead and everything like that. And uh, so like good sheep, we just said, Amen. Uh, but as I was going out the door, a brother said to me, he said, Kevin, I hope when you grow up that you will learn to distinguish between the murmuring of the sheep and the bleating of the sheep. He said, the sheep are not murmuring, they're bleating. And that really stuck in my spiritual gizzard. But here they're murmuring, not bleating. There was a need. Now, in verse 2, we move to the second part here, verses 2 through to 6, we have what I've called here the church diaconate. Now, I realise there's difference of opinion on this and I'm not going to go into the arguments against or for anything like that. We'll just do what we believe here. We have what we believe here uh, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of expositors accept and some don't. So you'll just have to agree to disagree agreeably. We believe that this is the choice of the first deacons. Now remember, as we work through the book of Acts here, you'll find there's actually a progression of development here. 
We, we have the foundation of the church on the 12 apostles. They're laying foundations. The Lord, as the head of the church, is in heaven. He said, upon this rock I'll build my church. So the church is just being built. So uh, he's assembling the people, gathering the people, building them to, uh, together as a temple of the Lord, a house. So 3,000, 5,000, multitude, disciples are multiplying. They don't know what a New Testament church is yet. I don't understand all these things. So there's a progressive uh, revelation coming from the head. They haven't got the New Testament like we have. So as the head of the church, he's just unfolding these things. So now uh, they didn't get together and say, oh, we want to have a New Testament church. Okay, first thing we need to have is let's get some deacons. I, I remember talking to a brother in the States once. He said, well, I want to have a New Testament church. And I said, well, tell me what you mean by that. He said, well, I want to have apostles and prophets and pastors, shepherds, evangelists, teachers, elders, elderesses, deacons, deaconesses, exhorters, exhorteresses, uh, all the rest. Of it. And I said, how many members you got in your church? He said, three. <laughs> and, and see, I've found over the years that some ministers say, well, I'm going to have a New Testament church. And they make deacons and make elders and make this just to say we've got a New Testament church. No, it was the need that precipitated the, I mean, uh, yes, the need precipitated the rise of the diaconate. They didn't just say, well, we're going to have deacons, just so we have a New Testament church. So the need precipitated. So that's the thing. Now, um, I don't know, you know, all of your background. I know some of us are new believers in the Lord. Some of us come from various backgrounds. But when it comes to this office, particularly in the ministry of the function of the deacon, there is a lot of confusion. I have on my notes here, uh, and I don't want to take too much time on this, uh, I'll just read this part. There is much confusion about this office as to qualifications and responsibilities. Some have them as ministers of the gospel, others have archdeacons, some as board of directors or over almsgiving. The office has been taken to extremes by underrating or over-exalting it. Roman Catholic Church looks upon deacons as uh, inferior ecclesiastic, second in the sacred order, and with the bishop's permission may preach and even baptize. The English Church look upon such as clergymen, the lowest grade, who may perform all the offices of priests except consecration of the sacred elements and pronouncing absolution. And we know the controversy on the television, the television anyway, recently. Uh, and it's so, in my mind, so contradictory that a deacon or a deaconess can baptize, but they can't minister communion. Where can you find that in the New Testament church? German Protestant churches have an assistant minister called the deacon, and if there is two, then the first is called the archdeacon. It has this. In the Presbyterian Church, this office is commonly merged with the ruling elder, thus deaconship is mostly disused. And in the Methodist and Episcopal Church in the USA is basically the same as the English Church. In the Baptist Church, generally speaking, the deacons are the board of directors. And uh, most times they hire and fire the pastor. <laughs> However, as will be seen, most of this is absolutely contrary to the Scriptures and the original intents and, and institution of the diaconate as in the book of Acts. So once you turn over to Philippians chapter 1, hold Acts chapter 6. Having been round for several years, I've uh, had some interesting 
discussions and seen some interesting things on this. I remember one time I was teaching on Book of Acts many, many, many years ago. It must be 24 years ago. And uh, I was talking about uh, the qualifications of the deacons. As we'll see, one of the qualifications is wisdom. And uh, right in the middle of me teaching, just in a setting like this, uh, a brother got up and rebuked me that I was exalting the office of deacon too high. And then after he'd said his piece, uh, another uh, a sister got up and she rebuked me and gave me a piece of a mind she could ill afford to lose. <laughs> Just making sure you're awake out there. And so in moments like these, what do you do? In moments like these, I lift, throw up my hands. No. I just waited a moment just to regroup myself and then I said, well, I've been mentioning two of the qualifications of deacons and one of them is wisdom and the other is self-control <laughs> and we have seen an evidence of the lack of both of this just in these last few moments and we finished the lesson there. Anyway, it was very... <laughs> so uh, this area, without any more on this, but it's a very touchy area. Some churches don't believe in, some do, and some believe the deacons should be the board of deacons. They could control, hire and fire the things, so they become a, a bureaucracy, and hire and fire. And it used to happen to me in a particular demon, a denomination, pardon me, just there. And every year I was up for grabs. It was a terrible thing when it came the end of the year, when the board of deacons would meet in that little room and leave me outside as the pastor. And I think, oh, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. If he hollows, let him go. I can't finish the rest of it because it's racist. Okay. And then they come in and say, uh, you're allowed to stay another year. I think, oh, I'm not out of a job. <laughs> Where's it in the book of Acts? So contrary. What did I say to turn to? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Just seeing if you remembered. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, we have... The biblical order, and these are the only two offices particularly mentioned in the New Testament. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So you notice what you've got here. You've got Paul and Silas. Was it Silas there? Or Timotheus? And you'd have an eye in. Okay. Tim. Timothy. And uh, both of these are apostolic ministry. Timothy was an apostle. And then they're writing to a local church, the church of Philippi. And who do they write to? They don't even write to the pastor of the church. Or the reverend. Or the holy father. They write to, and they don't even write to the archbishop. And they don't even write to the bishop. They write to the bishops and the deacons. They're the only two offices in the New Testament church. And, and of course, they begin with the saints. That's New Testament order. Plurality, plurality, plurality. And see, we haven't got time to go into other churches that exemplify the same thing. So, bishops, deacons, saints, that's order. Now, I want you to go back to Acts chapter 6, 
and as time always keeps moving on. You may not be able to read this, but uh, we'll try and see how you go anyway. The reason uh, we believe here that this is referring to deacons in Acts chapter 6 is, is, is this. Though the word deacon is not specifically used here, that's in Acts chapter 6, it is clearly implied in the use of the Greek words in the verse. Verse 1, the Greek word for ministration is diakonia. Verse 2, the Greek word for serve, it's not reason that we should leave tables and serve, not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The Greek word for serve is diakonia. And uh, the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. And this Greek word is translated as follows. Deacon five times, servant seven times, and minister twenty times. And the word simply and essentially means a servant, one called a serve to wait, or an attendant. And so a deacon is, very simply this is, a deacon is a servant to Christ, and a servant to the church, number two, and a servant to the ministry. And so that's the picture that we have here, and I believe it is in seed form. So what I see happening in this whole area is that in Acts chapter 6, as the church is beginning, we have, in a sense, the seed of the diaconate, okay? We have the seed of it here, the deaconship. But then over the years, as we get on into the epistles, particularly Pauline epistles, when we get to the epistle, the pastoral epistles, and that's interesting, pastoral epistles uh, of Timothy, we have uh, Paul spelling out all the qualifications of bishops or elders and deacons. So the seed of it is in the book of Acts, as we'll see later on. In the book of Acts, we see the first deacons. In the book of Acts, we see the first uh, elders. We see the first evangelists. We see a development in the chapters. There's a progressive unfolding of the ministries. The, uh, we'll touch this later on. Ascension gift ministries as the church is developing. But when you get to the epistles, things are spelled out more because Paul is the, is the apostolic ministry in the sense of local church more than the other apostles. They were foundation. So what is spelled out here in the book of Acts in seed form? Deacons, first of all. And then when we get to Acts chapter 14, they ordain elders in every church. So we have elders, plural, deacons, plural. But then when we get to Timothy, Paul spells out the qualifications of bishops and deacons as he's writing to the saints. So there's a, a progressive development here we have to recognize. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 6 here. So the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, said it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, you needn't worry about taking this down. We did do this uh, uh, some other time. But I want you to notice the balance in this. Now, I have to make some statements and not take time to prove it here. But elders were never chosen by the people. They were confirmed by the people but not chosen by them. Elders were chosen by the ministry, apostolic ministry in this case. But deacons were chosen by the people and confirmed by the ministry. 
So I want you to see in this case, because you see, those of you who have some church background know a lot of confusion over this. Well, we'll make him an elder. He's a good businessman. How many know that sometimes businessmen do not make good elders and vice versa? Because you can't run the, the church just like you run the business world. In fact, dear little Moses had to learn that. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But when it came to building God's tabernacle and the church in the wilderness, God didn't use any of the wisdom of Egypt to build his house. And I find sometimes over my years that people have come in and they're worldly wise and got worldly wisdom and try to run the church with worldly wisdom. No, God, God's got a unique wisdom all of his own. How many of you know that? Wisdom of this world sometimes, well, Paul says it's foolishness to God. So it depends are we running the, the church on God's wisdom or worldly wisdom. That's where you get into a lot of conflict. Now, look at the beautiful balance that we have here between the twelve and the disciples. So here we have the daily ministrations. That was the need. So over on this side, the twelve called the multitude together. So the, the, the initiative came from the twelve, the need. The twelve called and they said to the multitude, we want you to multiply disciples. We want you to look out from among you seven men whom we may appoint and the same please the multitude and we'll pray over them and we'll give ourselves to prayer on the word. So they chose, the multitude chose. So with all the multitude they must have known that these men were qualified men. And we have some of the qualifications uh, back here in the book of Acts. They were fully developed more in the pastoral epistles. And so as the multitude, they must have known who they were because they're named here. They must have known that they were qualified men, had these qualifications, and they chose them. And so they chose these men, brought them to the apostles. The apostles prayed, laid hands on them as they set them before the multitude. So here we have a beautiful blending of the leadership and the congregation in the choosing of deacons. Now we went through this process in, in Waverley and, uh, uh, a couple of years ago, it must be, and that was a very delicate area because being very honest with you saints, I have believed this and taught this for many years, but I have never obeyed the scripture on this area. And as we discussed it in the eldership here, because we didn't want to hurt people, uh, because we were having deacon over this, deacon over this and so forth, and we didn't want to hurt people, uh, we kept putting it off and putting it off until we felt the Holy Spirit made us do it. And so we handled it on several Sunday mornings. And uh, it was a little bit of adjustment, but we wanted to do it this way. And so as a congregation... Those who were committed members and knew people, not just for one or two months, knew that they qualified. And so we have a diaconate here, though we need to increase it. And so this is going to have to be brought before the church again uh, so to increase the deaconship here as the church is increasing. That's what's happening here. Okay, everybody said amen. All right, so in verse 3, you look you out from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And the business was looking after the widows with the offerings concerning uh, the orphans and the Pentecostal offerings that came in at a festival occasion. But we will give ourselves continually, first of all, to prayer and then secondly to the Word. Prayer and the Word. I have to continually do that as much as I can even of, of nights like this, say, Lord, quicken me, give me fresh touch of the Holy Spirit and pray uh, prayer and the Word. Not the Word first, 
But now I want you to go over to First uh, Timothy chapter three. While you're turning there, I'll keep uh, moving. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So there's such a unity of the faith here. The multitude were pleased, the congregation were pleased, and they chose. So we notice what they did. They found amongst them seven men. The saying pleased the multitude. They chose. They set before the apostles. So there was just a, such a flowing together of the congregation and the uh, apostleship here. So they chose and they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them and so forth. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. You'll notice verses 1, and if you want to pick this up here. So, notice the, what I've done here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 gives us New Testament church order. Paul and Timotheus, apostolic ministry, writing to Philippi, a local church, writing to the bishops and deacons and saints. That is church, that's divine order, Philippians. Now, this is what we've got, Acts, which is the seed of all this. And then we have the pastoral epistles, Timothy. So we've got Acts, Philippians, and Timothy dealing with this thing. Bishops and deacons. Now, in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through to 7, we have qualifications concerning a bishop or an elder. So you'll notice the development here. We've got to put the whole New Testament together. A bishop then. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he doesn't desire an office. He desires a good work. W-O-R-K. And then when we go down to chapter 3 and verse 8 through to uh, at least 13, we have the qualifications of a deacon. Likewise, must the deacons. So we have bishops and deacons. Bishops and deacons. Paul's writing to Timothy, who at this time is in charge of the church at Ephesus. So here we see the church at Jerusalem, church at Ephesus, church at Philippi, had bishops and deacons and saints. All right, now, don't worry about taking this overhead, but I just want to verbalize it. This is all out of Timothy here. You'll notice then, so we have the ministry of a deacon, we have the qualifications of a deacon, and look at the list that I've combined together here out of... Uh, out of the, uh, both the records here. He must be a man from among you. In other words, he must be a believer, not an outsider. Number two, he must be a man of honest report. That's good character and reputation, both inside and out the, outside the church. You see, I feel that many churches uh, either over-exalt the diaconate or belittle it and say, oh, I'm only a deacon. No, it's a very important thing. In fact, as you go through this scripture here, you'll find that the qualifications for bishop and deacon are basically the same, except one is more the emphasis on serving, the other is more the emphasis on ruling and word. That's basically the difference, but qualifications, basically the same. But all of us really should have the spirit of serving, the servant spirit, amen? Uh, by love, one, serve one another. Jesus, oh, he's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, elder, deacon, the lot. He said, I'm among you as one that serveth, a diacon, a, a diaconus. He was a servant spirit. So we are to have a servant. All of us should have the spirit of a deacon, even if we don't have the office of a deacon. That's what I'm saying. So, continuing on here as the time continues on. Uh, three, full of the Holy Spirit. 
not only in the baptism of the Spirit, but living the Spirit-filled life, living, walking and moving in the Spirit. Number four, full of wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. How many stupid things have been done and unwise things have been done by board of deacons over the years? Number five, uh, from Timothy, he must be grave, that is reverent, sincere in spirit. Number six, they must not be double-tongued like a snake, forked tongue, not double-minded or two-faced. Number seven, not given to wine, not a drunkard or giving to excesses. And uh, this is our standard for leadership in Waverley, call it legalism, whatever. We ask all our leaders not to be wine sippers. To be total abstainers. That's our standard. And there's plenty of churches who are dropping the standard now in Pentecostal churches where they're wine sippers and everything. I want us to keep a standard here, don't you? By the grace of God. Uh, if you want a wine sipping church, there's plenty around. Our standard here is no. And you say, well, there's no scripture against it. Well, there's no scripture that says thou shalt not smoke. But the biblical principle is against it. Anyway, if God wanted you to smoke, you'd have a chimney in your head. <laughs> uh, not greedy or filthy lucre. Not covetous or having a love for money. Holding the mystery of the faith and a pure conscience. A clear conscience and all. Number ten in here. He must be proven first. A time of probation. Not a novice. So even elders should be proved as we pick up here. He must be found blameless and above reproach. The deacon also must have a wife that is grave also. That means sober and sensible. Uh, number 13, not a slanderer. And the Greek word there is diabolus. Diabolus, the devil is a slanderer, a gossiper or a whisperer. Uh, number 14, must be sober, self-controlled, watchful of a disciplined mind. Number 15, faithful in all things. Reward is for faithfulness. Number 16, household, wife and children must be ruled well. If he cannot rule his own house, how can he rule in the house of God? And number 17, the husband of one wife. Not bigamy. Bigamy, I mean. Not polygamy. One wife. And number 18, the office of a deacon is purchasing a good degree and as I've said, the qualifications of the deacons are very similar to that of elders. So, the only one I didn't put down was perfection. Because <laughs> I thought I would disqualify myself. Turn back to Acts chapter 6 and we'll have to quit tonight. But how many feel you've learned something out of this tonight? And this is our desire in the Waverley Christian Fellowship to follow the Word of God. All right, just one other thought here as we bring our session to a close. So we see how the, the twelve and the uh, multitude worked together, the church, and everybody was pleased, and they laid hands upon them, there was prayer. And what's the end result? The Word of God increased. As the ministry gave themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, the Word of God increased. What, what do you think that means? You know, you know what is really happening here when it says the word of God increased? You see, the head of the church said on earth, he said, I've got many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to lead you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is giving them the word. It's, the word is still being unfolded to them. And in subsequent years, they would write it down and we would have the New Testament. But they didn't have a New Testament. So when the word of God increased, doesn't mean they, to say they got a bigger Bible but the word is coming to them, the revelation is coming to them. 
And uh, what happened? The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, so there's continued increase in the church. And I like this little part of uh, the latter part of verse 7. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Have you ever thought of that verse? A great company of the priests. Let's finish on this thought. Those priests had been at the temple. And uh, there was no Ark of the Covenant, of course, there. But there was the altar of incense, the showbread tables, and the uh, sea, and the brazen laver. And for years those priests had been ministering under the Mosaic Covenant and the Aaronic and Levitical priesthood. And when Jesus died on the cross under Passover, he'd rent the veil from top to bottom and scared the life out of the priest who was standing there. When God said to him, listen, the Aaronic priesthood is finished, the Levitical priesthood is over, I'm finished with the Mosaic covenant, I've got the new covenant now, I've got the Melchizedek priesthood, priesthood of all believers, and there's no more veil, and when the body of his flesh, the veil of his flesh was rent, the veil was rent over here. And I'm sure this priest, I hope he got to heaven, don't you? If he did, he probably went to, hey guys, I'm out of a job. <laughs> While I was standing there about 3pm in the afternoon off on the sacrifice, boom, the veil went from top to bottom. And I saw into the holies of holy, it's empty. And I tore within the veil, come on, let's go. And a great company of the priests said, we're leaving the old covenant church and we're coming to Jesus. And they become obedient to the faith. Everybody said, hallelujah. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you again for your wonderful, exciting, inexhaustible word. We pray, Lord, that what we've shared tonight will not only be uh, didactical but practical as uh, we want to get back to the book of Acts and more, Father. As you come to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and all that you continue to do in our midst, seal your word in our heart. May we not be a murmuring church in any way, Lord, and watch the seeds, Lord, but may we be a praising and a worshipping church so that your presence and great power and great grace and great fear will be upon us as you continue to multiply and increase this church by the prophetic word. We believe it and thank you for it, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.